if you could have more of one thing, what would it be? I know what you're thinking. But it's not that. Because if you had more money, then what, what would you want after that? You'd want the thing that you, if you paused and thought about it, you'd want that. You'd spend it to achieve that. And during the pandemic, during the last couple of years, people did stop and think about what do they really want more of? And survey after survey, what people say is they want more joy and peace and rest. They want more joy, peace, and fulfillment, a sense that, uh, of well-being. So during the pandemic, people unplugged. We've called it, you've probably heard this, it's called the great resignation. And so then the idea is then that, that, they've, that we've all experienced this sense of, of deleting things from your calendar. And that, that felt good, didn't it? And for a while you're saying, well, I think I understand the principle now. Less is more. And now as things begin to put themselves back together again and, and you start unwinding this, this whole this whole uh, season of time and things start heating up back again, we're, we're reticent to plug back in. I've noticed that. Have you? I, I keep talking to employer after employer who's saying they're having trouble finding people to work. Uh, in, in terms of all of our, the responsibilities we've let go of before, we think, well, less is more, so I'm not going to say yes to those things again. And, uh, but here's the problem. When, when we, uh, so this is the problem we're going to solve this morning, okay? So when we operate by this principle that I just need more air in my schedule, more flexibility in my schedule, when you add technology to that, when you realize you can begin, when you begin to realize that you can work anywhere, you begin to work everywhere, Right? And the problem is that work now is not just sort of an on and then off kind of rhythm. It's a drip, drip, drip. It's constant. There's always something on your mind. I'll just, I'll just answer that email. I'll just make that decision. I'll just do that task. Drip, drip, drip. And so if you can work anywhere... You're working everywhere. What I'm going to suggest this morning is that deep rest, real rest, requires an investment of trust. On, off, on, off, work and rest. An investment in real rest, deep rest, is an investment in trust with our first fruits. So let's take a look at an investment of trust in terms of time and place. First time, an investment of trust in time. And what I'm going to suggest that what, what, what Romans is saying here is that we're, we're called to invest the first day of the week. <laughs> That's our first fruits. An investment of trust in terms of time, is the first day of the week. That's our Sabbath, Sunday. It's to invest 
in our rest, deep rest, by trusting God with our first fruits. Verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is that about? Why bodies? Well, you have to recognize that Christianity and Paul is speaking Christian principles into a Greco-Roman culture. And the Greeks believed, and, and, and we believe this today in our culture, that what we really need is escape, and that spirituality is about escape, right? It's, it's, it's about getting away from the physical demands of everydayness. And let, let's just sort of get, use our minds to get out of what we're in the middle of. But brilliantly, Paul says, offer your bodies. And what he's saying is this, listen. The full you needs to come to a full stop. The full you needs to come to a full stop. Why? Because the full you is part of something bigger than you. And you and I need to come to a full stop so we can connect again with the story under our lives, the story under our work. There's something constantly speaking to you. There's a story, there's a narrative that you're living. And sometimes we, we forget the real narrative we're living. And we get into a narrative of performance. And the drip, drip, drip nags at us saying, you're never going to do enough. You're never going to amount to enough. You're never going to be enough. And so he's saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Come to a full stop. The full you coming to a full stop so that you can connect again with the story of your life. And the story is this. There, God is sovereign. God made you for himself. And we're restless until we rest in him. The full you needs to come to a full stop. This, this speaks back, this is an integration of the Old Testament story. Not only of what Tyler read, but hearkening back to the, the six-day creation, but also there's this, in Exodus 34, it talks about this festival of weeks. And I want to I use this as an illustration of what I'm talking about, the full you coming to a full stop, that you may connect again with the story of your life, the narrative that says, you're okay. God is in charge. God is sovereign. All right? Instead of getting a jump on your week, trust him with the first fruits of your week. Let me illustrate that with the Old Testament. So, so the festival of weeks was 50 days after the Passover, and still is. They, 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 you know, Jewish people still celebrate the festival of weeks. And, and at the time, in Exodus 34, it describes how... how um, during the harvest, the seven weeks of the harvest, starting with barley and then culminating in, in, in wheat, on this, during the festival of weeks, they would go out into the fields and they would wrap the first fruits of barley and dates and wheat and figs and olives and grapes and they would wrap the first fruits, the first ripening fruits, with a reed. And they would take that, and, and then they would adorn their, their oxen 
the, the horns of their oxen with, with festive colors, and they would load up the oxen with the first fruits, and they would parade it through Jerusalem. And people would celebrate the first fruits. You think, that sounds really weird. No, <laughs> hang in there. Let me, let me give you a modern-day example of this. So this just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with somebody who planted a citrus crop about three or four years ago. And they were telling me the story of this, how much they had invested, I mean, put everything into this. And so they're watching their livelihood slowly germinate and come through the soil and begin to sprout. And, uh, and she was telling the story. He was standing there. He, she said, just a, a few weeks ago, um, the first, uh, maybe it was a couple months ago, I guess, the first ripened grapefruit, the very first ripened grapefruit, uh, began to show. And, uh, and he saw it, he picked it, and he brought it back to their kitchen table, and he put it on the kitchen table. <laughs> and they're just looking at it. And she was telling the story of them just almost in silence, just in awe. The sense of power and mystery of this, the first fruit of this citrus crop of this new season of their life, and they're just looking at it in awe. Can you see that? Isn't that amazing? And they cut it open to see the quality of it. It was wonderful. They're connecting. You see the, the grapefruit. You see the festival of weeks. You see what I'm saying. What's the story under your work? Is there a sense of mystery and awe that God is sovereign, that he provides? I mean, in other words, how humble was that for them to spend years cultivating this crop, for them to put so much into it, for, for day in and day out, for him to be out there and for him to hire all the people that he's hiring and, and put all that he, and research all that he did. And then here's the first grapefruit and there is this sense of, yeah, I, I worked, but I didn't make this thing grow. Only, yeah, it's like George, Joyce Kilmer's poem, Only God Can Make a Tree, right? Poems are made by, things, you know, by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. The sense of humility, you see? The sense of joy and peace and fulfillment in the grapefruit, in the first fruits. Do you have that? Don't you want more of it? And the idea is that we take this first day of the week. It used to be that the Sabbath was the last day of the week because God made, you know, he worked, and then, boy, he was tired after that. You know, he made a lot of stuff, right? No, he wasn't tired. He sat down and ruled over it. And so we, we celebrated the Sabbath as the last day of the week, but in the Christian era, in, in the era of the church, we're saying, no, we're going to combine, we're going to say the first day of the week, the first fruits is when we rest, is when we say, we reconnect with the story. We look back and we say, God has been faithful. He will be faithful again. You see? You say, Tim, well, what about, I mean, can't we go play sports and, and do recreation and and uh, watch movies and do all that kind of stuff. Well, of course. I mean, wh but what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of it? Now, I say, of course. Now, let me just put a little proviso on that. Look, 
What is the purpose of rest? Are you really resting? Are you really resting? I think the problem is, and this is what Andy uh, Crouch says. He says, we're toiling, drip, 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 and we're not really resting. We're escaping. We're not really resting. We're escaping. And so the pattern is toil and escape, toil and escape. It's like, oh, gosh, I'm finally, I'm finally through with this week. I'm going to crash. You know what? I'm going to veg out and binge on Netflix. How restorative is that, right? You've done this into the wee hours, and then the next morning you are groggy, and you think, that didn't do it for me. It won't do it for you. This is how Andrew Crush says, toil from his TechWise family that we recommended a few weeks ago. Toil is excessive, endless, fruitless labor that leaves you exhausted with nothing to show for it. Leisure, not, not rest, not deep rest, but leisure is fruitless escape from labor that does not really restore our souls or relationships. And I think this is where we are. Post-pandemic, the great resignation. We're at a place where we're just we're, we're, we're thinking that we need to not to invest in anything. We, we need to just stay checked out as much as we can. But technology has gotten to where we're constant drip, 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 toiling, 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 rather than working and then resting, working and resting. So time, first fruits, Sunday. Offer your bodies, the full you, coming to a full stop that you may connect again with the story of your life. God is sovereign. He made you for himself. And you're restless until you rest in him. Second and finally, place. Now, what I mean by place is that we need a place, a place where there are some people that we trust, all right? To trust a few with a little rather than many with much. Let me name another problem. All right, let me say that again, though. To trust a few with a little rather than many with much. What do I mean by many with much? You know exactly what I mean. You see this every day. I, I am appalled by the things that get, sh that, that get shared publicly on social media. It, it's, it's unbelievable what people are putting out there. And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just endless, wah, right? I, I, did, I practiced that um, <laughs> illustration of social media sh oversharing. Too much information, right? Everything is out there. It's unbelievable. And what I'm saying is, Trust a few with a little rather than many with much. How does this connect to the passage? Verse 2. The renewal of your minds. All right? The renewal of your minds. What does that require? I mean, I know my mind, but do, do other people know my mind? I think I know my mind. I think I know my mind. But I have blind spots, don't you? I have all kinds of blind spots. I have all kinds of biases. And I, I'm really glad when I can put stuff out there and just, I'm saying, me, I'm just sort of being an everyman out there on social media. I'm going to say, I just, I'm going to put things out there so that people will affirm me. 
or that I can connect with the crowd that already agrees with me. Or, and one of the rules on social media, especially if you're sharing something very personal, is only affirm. Only affirm. Watch this. Somebody will put something out there and they'll say something very personal, deeply personal. And then it's just like a hundred people come back going, oh, you know, you're so sweet or you're beautiful or this is great. I mean, it's just affirmation, right? That's the rule. That's not real risk. That's not real trust. And this is what's going on. We've gotten into this pattern of sharing everything with everybody, but not really developing, not really taking a risk of trusting, truly trusting with the rules where people have permission to say something back to you that isn't always exactly what you want to hear. Do you have people in your life who have permission to tell you what you don't want to hear? Besides me, right now. Because um, <laughs> I know you don't want to hear this, but, you know, you've got to be cruel to be kind, right? The wounds of a friend are faithful. I'm being a friend to you this morning. Trust a few, right? So let me illustrate what I'm talking about here. So we all have blind spots. We all need people to speak into our lives about places that aren't quite right, where our biases are really hurting us and hurting people around us. Do you have people like that in your life? So I, I think I've told at least one story about my dog growing up, Charcoal Shindo Shake. that was her name. And of course you know from a name like that that she was a poodle, right? Charcoal Shendo Deshake. This is my parents' sort of sense of humor. That okay, her, her name is Charcoal, but she comes from the line of Sh the Shendo line of, of poodles, and she for, she was from Shaker Heights, Ohio at the time. So Charcoal Shendo Deshake. But we called her Sh Charky. We called her Charky, Charcoal Charky. And every annually, my mom, you know, just take off all the fur, all that all that gorgeous black fur, gone. And underneath it was this, this sort of, um, I mean, you know, she looked like a hot dog underneath. I mean, just like, you know, and not a good hot dog, like a, like, not like a, like, like a ballpark hot dog. I'm talking about like just a hot dog that's been sitting there outside for about three weeks, you know. She looked like that underneath her fur. And she would come out, she would come into the kitchen uh, and, and, and present herself for compliments. I mean, I'm telling you, this is what was, I mean, she, brilliant dog, very smart dog. Right? Most dogs know, you know a handful of words. She knew, she knew most of the English language. So she would come into the, the kitchen, and she'd just kind of like, so what do you think? You know, just kind of sh shaking a little bit, you know, just like, what are you, you going to say about my new haircut, you know? And it was a very vulnerable moment because, I mean, all I had to do was say, you're naked. <laughs> and she would, I mean, I, I, and, and we'd do that. It was cruel. My brother and I just say, you're naked. She was naked. And she knew it. And she knew what we were saying. And she ran behind the couch, would hide behind the couch, you know, because she was informed of her nakedness. You know, human beings don't need to be told they're naked. But we have places in us that we don't know are exposed that aren't, that, that, that aren't as they should be. You have to tell a dog she's naked. And sometimes human beings need to be told. We need to be able to have a level with each other and permission to have people speak into our lives to say, look, hey, you're naked. I mean, th this isn't great. 
I mean, what I've heard, or even just to say, yeah, I've heard you say that a number of times and redirect and say, hey, how is that working? How's that working? I mean, you seem frustrated. And have you recognized that this is a pattern? Forming groups just to give each other advice. Because sometimes what, what happens is if I have a trusted few, if I'm trusting a, a, a few, right, with a little and not many with much, then I can hear myself share it. I, I'm instructing myself. I don't, I don't need to have you know, brilliant counselors around me. Sometimes I, I just need to say it in the presence of somebody else, and then I realize, oh, man, I keep saying that. You know, I'm kind of tired of being in that place. And it kind of... Offer your bodies as your spiritual worship. Offer your bodies. What, what, what does the scripture say? What, what image is there for the church? It is a body. And once we realize that, that coming together as a body is something that, that helps us experience the presence of God and connects us to the story again, then we're in a position to be able to trust a few with a little that we can expect that he's going to be at work on us in a pattern of risking, in a pattern of sharing, in a pattern of building that trust. And before us is, is a table, and the elements on it are very simple. We, we come to this table once a month as a habit. And for a minute, I, I just want you to to make the connection between the table and the message this morning. The table and Romans chapter 12. What habits are you in? Are you in a habit that's connecting you again to God and to people? Now, I would love to be a concert guitarist. I would love to be an outstanding writer. There are all kinds of things I'd love to do. I, I, I would love that every time that I get frustrated with somebody, that, that what comes out is, is generosity. I would love to be that person. I don't always demonstrate that I am that person. And I've got a guitar that I, I, I really enjoy playing, and I don't play it as much as I could. But when I spend time doing it, it all starts coming back to me again, and I, I realize I could, I could play this thing. And if I get up every day and I write a little bit, over the years, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm well into life now, and uh, it's taken me a long time to learn how to write, and I'm still, I feel like I'm, you know, half a century behind. But if I get up every day and I do a little bit of it, and I, you see what I'm getting at? I mean, there are things that you and I want to achieve. We want joy, and we want peace, and we want fulfillment. And it really comes down to whether or not we're trusting in a sovereign God as the story of our lives. That he made us for a purpose and for himself. And am I trusting the people around me intentionally to help me continue to grow into the person that he's called me to be? Am I trusting that when I receive this bread and drink from this cup, that the presence of God through the ordinary means of this simple meal is enough to change me, 
to heal those places, those biases, to cover my nakedness before him, to bring me into the full humanity for which he designed me, a pattern of risk, of real rest, of a, of a story of your life, of a sovereign God, of a people who are shoulder to shoulder going in that direction, trusting each other with that same story. And so I invite you to this table this morning, not as a religious table, not as a Presbyterian table. This is the Lord's table. And if you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you are welcome to this table. Let us pray. God, this truly is the table where we once again remember the story of our lives, that we were created for you. We were created for moments like this where we commune with you. So would you take these common elements of bread and cup and would you use them to strengthen us this morning, to encourage us, you meet us here at the table.